This is Sarah Tebow, and I'm the host of the SideWoo Podcast. Join me for conversations about mental health and metaphysical issues from the lens of living a more creative, fulfilling, and connected life. From the physical to the metaphysical and beyond, welcome to the SideWoo. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the SideWoo. This is Sarah. I am so excited to share a conversation with the host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Tarot Diagnosis. It is Shannon Knight. And Shannon is a queer psychotherapist licensed in both Arizona and Florida, where she specializes in working with individuals and couples and has turned her passions for therapy and tarot into a podcast and an online community called The Symposium. I discovered her podcast when my friend Julia Reed, who is a brilliant writer and also loves tarot, shared the podcast with me, I want to say in February. And immediately, I was actually a little jealous, like, oh, my God, the intersection of therapy and tarot from the point of view of an actual therapist and not just someone who's like been in therapy for too long. That's super brilliant. She just hit her 100th episode, which is awesome. And so I'm really excited that we got to talk. You know, in our conversations, we talk about the way that some of our experiences have lined up, as well as just in general, how when you're doing something like a podcast, or you're doing tarot readings for like a larger group of people, or in her role as a therapist, how there will be these themes that happen for more than one person. And what does that mean? And where is that coming from? Is that like an astrology thing? You know, I don't think we ever really answer that question. But it is really interesting to hear that that experience happens at a number of levels. So it's really cool to talk to someone with that kind of broader perspective on, I want to say, healing trends. And I just wanted to say, too, because this is the second or third episode we've done about tarot, why I'm attracted to tarot so much. I just love it. And I think aside from the visual aspect that I think is really fun as an artist and someone who loves art and looking at different imagery and unpacking it for meaning, I think the other really amazing thing about it is it's this mirror for your experience and your feelings. And I think like a lot of people, it really became important to me during the pandemic. And at a time when, you know, I'd already been kind of destabilized by traveling a lot and was on this solo adventure and having something like tarot to reflect back to you what you're going through when maybe you don't have people around you, you know, who could do that all the time became really important. And I think that's maybe something about why it's kind of hitting its stride as this element of the the metaphysical zeitgeist right now is because it is so portable. The fact that it's art, it goes beyond language, which means that it's accessible to a lot more people. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there as a little shout out to tarot. And, you know, if you're like, I roll, I'm sick of hearing about tarot, then, you know, this podcast probably isn't for you. But also maybe give it another chance if you're curious as to what all the fuss is about. So yeah, with that, I will leave you to the episode. As always, if you want to follow along on Instagram, you can go to the SideWoo. You can email us for any feedback or questions at thesidewoo at gmail.com. I'd really love to get an email that wasn't spam trying to get me to like generate some leads. 
You can also subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on wherever you find podcasts. We pretty much have our podcast there. So feel free to go on and do all that. Otherwise, you know, I hope you enjoy the episode and thank you for listening. Like, are you enjoying San Francisco? I am. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's been really cold since I got here. And oh my we've God, had jealous. like, I know it's kind of funny to <laughs> complain about it, but we've had like two days of warm weather. And during those days, everyone was like, it was like 75. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's so hot. <laughs> you know, please. <laughs> I can't even walk down the street because we get so sensitized. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. And you're in Arizona, right? Yes. Phoenix. Yeah, it was. It's like been 114. We went to. Yeah, this is my first full summer here because we moved here last August. So we got the tail end of it. But I'm from Florida, so I'm used to the heat. But it's it's a dry heat. (laughs) I prefer the the dry heat. But yeah, we went up to Flagstaff for the weekend just to get a little bit of reprieve. And it was so nice because the high oh, was nice. like 87 and the low was oh, 50. Oh, my God. But yeah, here it's like you open your door and it's like you're opening an oven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's so, awful. I know. Is this a long-term plan to live in Phoenix? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I can't see myself anywhere long-term. We have constantly moved I don't know if you like constantly move or if you like I have yeah actually okay yeah so yeah I don't know after a while you kind of get that itch it's like when you get a tattoo and you're like oh I want another one it's the same thing with moving Mm. like "Mm, I've been here for two years it's time to find somewhere else to go so yeah no I won't be here long term yeah that's interesting I have lived in SF for about 17 years before moving to LA last year but I moved houses. The most that I stayed in a house was like three years. Yeah, same. It wasn't necessarily by choice, but then I ended up being nomadic for like three Mm -hmm. years. Oh, cool. And then I just got a lease after not having a lease for like a good 10 years. And I'm so itchy. Well, and and I'm here in SF for a month. So things like this make me feel like maybe I don't have to just pick up and move. Right. You know? (laughs) Yeah, that, I'm trying to like have that mindset while we're here. I'm like, everything's mm-hmm. so accessible. I can go up to the Pacific Northwest. I can get in the car and drive to LA. Like totally. I can hop on a plane and be in Florida in three hours. So yes, yeah, that's the mindset I'm trying to have here. Yeah, well, and we had a guest on who had a place in Joshua Tree. He and oh, his yeah. partner moved there. But he said that it was really common for people to want to move from the desert after about two years. Just because of the heat. Yeah. They were like, we were not alone in deciding to move somewhere after being here only a short time. So, you know, maybe that's just part of the life there. It's really interesting hearing that. I think, too, I didn't realize how much I need to see green and water for my mental Mm -hmm. health until, you know, I've been here a year (laughs) at this point. I love driving out in the neighborhood and seeing mountains Mm because, you know, I'm so used to just seeing flat. Yeah. But I really need to see green and water mm, <laughs> and trees. Yeah. So yeah, that's been the 
I think the biggest downfall is just the the terrain. I really mm. miss grass. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to feel guilty for having a green lawn, you know, right? <laughs> which I think people in Phoenix, some of them do, but right. do you get to Sedona at all? I have. Yes. I've actually been to Sedona twice since I've been here. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. That Sedona is, people talk about how special it is and it's, it is pretty special. There's, it's a weird experience, but like a weird mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah, I don't people talk about like vortexes and stuff and yeah. I'm always like, I don't know, like what is that? What does that mean? But I don't know. I've been on some trails and there's been some spots where I find myself on a trail and I'm like, I have entered a different world. Oh, I don't know really? what this is. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Were you on one of the well-known trails or was it Well, I you know, no, I wasn't we weren't purposely seeking out any sort of vortex trails. We we were okay. on one trail and we had found this little kind of like alcove I was like, oh my God, it feels so special right here. And we ended mm. up going back and hiking that trail again. And then I ended up Googling. I was like, where are all the vortexes in Sedona? And it turns out there is one on that trail in that location. So mm, I didn't yeah. even know that that was one of the spots beforehand. Oh, cool. So that was really cool too. Yeah. Oh, that's but, so cool. Yeah. I went with a couple of friends um, maybe like two or three months ago now and had this really wild experience at Cathedral Rock. I would recommend going late when it's dark Mm. and just sitting for a while and seeing if anything happens. That's (laughs) cool. I just want to say, so for listeners, Shannon runs the tarot diagnosis and I kind of was a late joiner because you just finished your 100th episode, right? Yes. That's wild to me. Wild. How many years is that? A little over two. I think we had started February 21. Yeah, Yeah. So a little over two years. Okay. Yeah. 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 Of doing it like every week. Every week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have mad respect for that because it's so much work to do. It is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I just immediately resonated with the intersection of tarot and mental health, the way that you and your former co-host talked about it. And then as I was listening, I was like, oh my God, there's so many commonalities that are coming up for the readings that you're doing and then what I'm focusing on that week in my life. Mm-hmm. And it has continued even after we talked where Aww. twice in your more recent episodes, the cards that you pull, like the first card is the card that I pulled for that day. No way. So like the one you did about the strength card, I had pulled that that day. And I was kind of thinking at the time, like, what is this about? You know, it's hard to pull the strength card just on its own because it always yeah. feels so contextual. But I was like, oh, you know, I wonder how this is going to show up. And then I listened to your episode and I was like, oh, well, this is how it's going to show up. Oh, was was that the episode with Sonia where we were talking about crying and tarot's medicine? Yeah. And that was wild because she had pulled that card, I think, to open the episode. And then I pulled it to end the episode. So crazy. Super cool. I mean, we normally have like a set questions, but I kind of want to dig into this. Like, do you... (laughs) feel like you're channeling energy that is just kind of happening in the moment or do you feel like it's astrology that we're all kind of experiencing mm-hmm. something or what do you think that kind of thing is about? Yeah, you know, I struggle with that type of question and it's one I think about personally a lot. It's one I don't talk about. So, yeah. but I, f- I feel like it is this universal experience we all have. And I think everybody calls it something 
different. Mm-hmm. For I guess for me, it, it really is just like this, you know, kind of esoteric experience mm-hmm. where I don't know, it's just unknowable. <laughs> but I, I, what's interesting about what you're asking, though, is I've never really had the desire to seek out where is this originating from, mm. which is actually kind of bizarre for me because I am yeah. someone who loves figuring shit out and <laughs> finding a reason behind everything. Like mm-hmm. psychology is a study of human behavior. Obviously, I want to know why people behave the way they do and why they react to experiences that they have. Right. So to not be so driven to find out why those things happen mm-hmm. is actually a really bizarre thing for me to be so comfortable with that ambiguity because I'm usually yeah. not comfortable with that. So yeah, I don't Oh, I don't, interesting. Yeah. I don't really have a clear-cut answer other than you know, maybe it's just my connection, our connection to the collective unconscious. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. And maybe thinking about that idea, I feel like people use that phrase in a lot of different ways and it has kind of like a pop cultural resonance. Totally, yeah. But how do you see it as a trained psychologist? I love that you're asking that question because yes, that phrase gets thrown around so much. So I'm going to jump in a couple of times during this episode and just share some information that I think will be helpful in providing context and some information to listeners. The first thing is I wanted to offer a textbook definition of the term collective unconscious, which the Britannica Online describes as, quote, a term introduced by psychiatrist Carl Jung to represent a form of the unconscious originating in the inherited structure of the brain, unquote. This is different from our individual unconscious as it is, quote, common to mankind as a whole, unquote. In other words, because of the way our brain has evolved, we are drawn to making patterns out of certain types of information like personality archetypes, universal imagery, iconography, and ways to solve problems. Joseph Campbell distilled this concept in his book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, And essentially, through comparative mythology research, he constructed the concept of the hero's journey that is a really common narrative arc used in ancient mythology, religious stories, and now embraced by contemporary writers and relevant to tarot because scholars of tarot, including Rachel Pollack in her book, 78 Degrees of Wisdom, talks about the way that the 22 major arcana cards mimic the beats of the hero's journey from the fool to the world. and Each of these cards are seen as an archetype within the narrative. So what exactly is an archetype? Just to drill down on this idea a little bit more. According to Jung, archetypes are patterns of behavior, either our own or someone else's, that our brains distill into a personality type. Four of the most common ones that Jung would use are called the persona, the self, the anima, and the animus, which those two are to describe male and female energies. And then there's, of course, the infamous shadow, which is a way to describe the parts of ourselves that we repress. There's also archetypes like the ruler, the artist, the sage, the explorer, the rebel that align more with tarot. From a psychological perspective, it's interesting because I feel like for me, my connection to the collective unconscious is also my connection and my experience with the hundreds of people that I've had this really intimate invitation into their world. Mm -hmm. So it's, 
kind of like this memory bank and experience bank mm. of all of these really unique human experiences that people have had that most people don't have access to, which is really one of the most profound aspects of my job is like, holy shit, I get to like, mm-hmm. people invite me into their world in such a vulnerable right. way. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm constantly forging relationships with people. So I feel like that's where my definition and experience of the collective unconscious comes in is just mm. always wanting to see and experience what other people's experiences are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And kind of dipping in to the other or something. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I do think there's something cool about this collection of experience and knowledge. It makes me think of the elder in the hut, you know, Mm. that you might go to and that they're wise because of just living life or Mm. that archetype of having seen it all, but then you learn so much, even doing tarot readings for other people or channeling something for someone. You learn so much by processing things with them. And I don't know, do you feel like, and I've heard this from other therapists, that if they're dealing with something in their own life, sometimes they will have patients come in that reflect something Mm -hmm. about what they're experiencing. Do you feel like that's happened with you at all? Oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, I think... Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting because I think early in my career, that was a fear, you know, when I'm this baby therapist of what if someone comes in and they're struggling with the same thing I'm struggling with. But now it's like, well, of course you're struggling with that. That makes so much sense. I think there's this misconception sometimes with therapists, or maybe we put this pressure on ourselves that we're supposed to have all the answers or <laughs> have all this lived experience and, you know, we don't, we're on the same journey as everybody else. And, you know, my job is to hold space for you and gently challenge you and provide you with additional tools and insight that maybe you didn't have. But, you know, I'm constantly healing alongside my clients. (laughs) There's been so many times where they've been going through something that I've, it's like, fuck, I'm going through the same exact thing and I can't be like, oh my God, me too. Yeah, um, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I definitely like afterwards I sit and reflect and I'm like, okay, this is what I was talking to them about. I should probably take my own advice. It's so um, much easier yeah. to give other people advice that you know is right and <laughs> is good advice. And then look at your own life and be like, oh yeah. <laughs> right. Something that question reminded me of though is, I feel like something that happens more frequently is my clients all having a similar experience. This happens way more often where (laughs) I'll have weeks. It's so bizarre. And actually, this is what kind of influences a lot of episodes on the podcast. I'll have weeks where I feel like I'm having the same conversation with Mm. like five different people. It's It's really interesting where, and I'll even tell clients like, hey, I was literally just talking about this same thing with someone else. So you're not alone because a lot of times people feel really isolated in their experiences. Yeah. I have themes where it's like, this is what I'm talking about on the podcast this week because this is what all my clients are talking about. Yeah. Which goes back to me feeling like, oh my God, how do they know, you know, that this is what I'm dealing with as a listener, you know, and I don't know if you've gotten this feedback from other people, but that just makes me think too, you guys and you are a vehicle for Mm -hmm. this information to come through. And because 
you're doing this type of work, it's like you're kind of given access to these Mm -hmm. major themes in a way. I think it helps me feel like there's not a universe of chaos to Uh try and put some meaning and order around it, which I could be totally off base. But it feels like people who put them in a position of Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to be that vehicle for ideas and a channel will get that kind of message, you know, and it's like you, you process on behalf of other people in a way, you know, I know like Chrissa Potter, someone I had on the show, I I feel like she's like that too, where all Mm -hmm. of her work is illustrations and stuff. And it's dealing with this kind of constant search for meaning. And it's like, well, if she weren't so anxious and had all this stuff come up, Mm -hmm. she might not have as much to make work about, you know, to make art about or that urgency around answering some of these questions might not come up if you're just like happy all the time. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I so appreciate that. Yeah, (laughs) Super relatable. You know, I think people become therapists because they're trying to heal from something or figure some, some shit out that they've been through. You know, not unlike an artist needing some sort of muse. And it doesn't always have to be pain. Sometimes it's... I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to like glamorize being miserable. Right. I actually don't think you have to be miserable to experience it, but yeah. Right. Don't want to further that trope. No. (laughs) But it is an important part of the human experience for sure. You know, so yeah, I, I love the way you were talking earlier, though, about this kind of vehicle, it's actually really comforting. And I hadn't Mm. thought about that before where it does provide a sense of order amidst the chaos where it's like, hey, we're all kind of having this shared experience or I'm drawn to you because I'm feeling some sort of connection to you and I don't have a definition for it. Mm -hmm. I don't have a way to describe it, but I just find myself in your presence. So let's all hang out and figure out this, this stuff together So, yeah, yeah, it's really comforting hearing you say it that way. Yeah. Well, and it kind of creates some purpose around it. I always look for the actionable items, you know, where, and this is probably my Capricorn moon, but I'm always like, (laughs) you know, how can I act on this or how can I do something to engage with it? You know, which isn't maybe, maybe you can tell me you're the therapist. Maybe that's not always the best approach, but I feel like... Mm it just helps me contain it, contain things that are happening. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm all about, also, I love that you're a Capricorn moon. I'm a Capricorn sun. I'm a Scorpio. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, that answers one of my questions. Yeah. What sign are you? Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Capricorn <laughs> sun, Scorpio moon, oh. Aries rising and okay. Aquarius north node. Don't really know what oh, interesting. most of those mean, but I, I wish I did. But I love that you use the word container, though, because I'm actually a proponent of compartmentalization in some Mm -hmm. ways. And I think that a lot of people maybe think it's not good to compartmentalize, but I think in some ways it is really helpful. So I love the way. It's very effective. Yeah. (laughs) I think the way you describe it is absolutely fine. And we should be looking at, you know, ways we can create some sort of container for different experiences that we have. Otherwise, I mean, blending together is obviously very nice and effective, but sometimes we do need to have a space that is just for whatever it is that we're going through with other folks. Yeah. And that makes me think about tarot as like each individual card Mm -hmm. as a similar container. But I wanted to ask, you know, how you originally got into tarot and maybe you can talk a little bit about how you use it for yourself. And then we can talk about maybe how you use it on your podcast and as a therapist? 
Yeah, sure. My relationship with tarot has been really interesting over the years. I came to it in my teenage years. I was the goth outsider. The, oh, the you goth were? Per- oh, yeah. I had like... Oh, cute. Yeah, the white contacts, the, oh you know, God. the Hot Topic clothing. <laughs> never, Yeah, I never quite grew out of that. But I think, you know, as a teen who was going through some shit, it was, I don't know, the esoteric, the occult, magic mm-hmm. it was a way for me to feel like I had some sort of connection or could find some sort of answer or maybe potentially experience a sense of Actually, going back to what you said, peace or comfort amidst the chaos, especially that I couldn't control being a child. So I think that's kind of where it began. And then as I got older, you know, I always had a deck around, but I would only pull it out for like a solstice or Mm -hmm. end of the year type of situation. My relationship with it was really inconsistent. And then it was right before we started the podcast that it's maybe like a year or two before it started reemerging as actually now that I think about it, it was like right at the start of the pandemic, which makes sense Mm, having this isolating experience where I gravitated towards it more and it became more of a weekly than daily practice versus just a yearly thing. But personally, I feel like it helps me feel more rooted and, and grounded and allow myself to access maybe different thoughts and perspectives that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to access. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I feel like it allows me to not only step into myself in some ways, but also step out of myself. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It does. And I think one thing that it sounds like you don't do is use it for divination as much. Mm-hmm, right. You're kind of no. more interested in it as a reflection tool. Yeah, it's definitely self-reflective for me. And I think I think it's a, t- a self-reflective tool for me because, you know, as a therapist, it's interesting going to therapy. And I do have my own therapist. But mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm in therapy, and I'm sure once folks have gone to therapy for a while or they've been with the same therapist, they they have the same experience where I'll share something. But then immediately in my head, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where they're going to go with this. I know what they're Uh going to say. I know what they're going to do. I know what technique they're using. Yep. So when I'm shuffling and pulling a card, I have no idea what to expect. I can release the expectation or the knowledge and not be in my head predicting what's going to come out. And it's easier for me then to receive or experience a different perspective. So it's it's more of a self-reflective and healing tool in conjunction with therapy. Yeah, I love that because I do think, you know, I'm in therapy right now and I my person's so great and she gives really good advice and is very pragmatic. But I do feel like we're in a little bit of a pattern where I kind of already know the type of (laughs) advice she's going to give. And it hasn't even been that long, you know, and I think it's because I'm just working on a couple of specific things. But yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they get into a a place where, you know, or you do when you're in that role of like, well, this is how you handle it. And maybe there's a lack of spontaneity on both Mm -hmm. sides, you know, and 
I like the idea of tarot coming in as this third agent that you kind of respond mm. to instead of jumping into your roles right away, you know? Yeah, I, you bring up a really good point. And I, didn't, I haven't shared this with a lot of folks, but I, as a therapist, I will sometimes, I'm obviously not just using the cards for myself. I'll pull a card before and after sessions, but I won't share it with the client if they're not into okay. tarot. So yeah. I do have a few clients who utilize tarot, which is so fun because then they'll bring their journaling or card pulls mm -hmm. into session and we get to explore the connection and, and that that helps a lot. And that's really fun. But, you know, sometimes because you mentioned you kind of get in this rut or you kind of there's another word for it that I'm drawing a blank on, but you know different techniques and you can just become comfortable with a certain way of being. Mm -hmm. So I might pull a card maybe before a session or after. And it's really helpful when I'm doing case conceptualization because I'll ask questions like, what am I not seeing in this person? Or what am I not seeing in this person's experience? Mm -hmm. Or what is something that hasn't been explored yet? And again, because I'm stepping out of myself in that moment and stepping into the cards, I'm able to have this perspective or different view that otherwise I maybe wouldn't have. And it's been mm -hmm. incredibly powerful because then the next session, I'll say, hey, like I was reflecting on our last session and here are some thoughts that I had. Does any of this sound like a good direction that you want to take? And often they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Or, oh, my God, mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that. And I think you're right. Let's head down that path. So, oh, well. yeah, it's it's that's really cool. Yeah. It makes me think of, too, a less formal conversation where maybe like an interview, like what we're doing, where you're allowing yourself to have this moment of inspiration or mm. kind of a more woo woo channeling. Whereas, mm. you know, in the therapy environment, I, I mean, I assume that there's so much programming and rules around what you're allowed to do that I could see that being a little stifling in terms of mm. what you feel like you can say. And so maybe that's part of this pattern that gets built up. Absolutely. You bring up a really good point. And I think, I think that's why a lot of us end up going into private practice too, because we mm, crave okay. that sense of freedom. Whereas if you're doing community mental health or you're working for a particular organization, there are really strict rules and guidelines. Like you might only be able to utilize one therapeutic modality or this place that you're at really focuses on dialectical behavior therapy or cognitive right. behavioral therapy. So that's all you use. Whereas when you are in private practice, I feel like you do have a little bit more freedom. And I think that like what you're saying to the cards definitely allow you to step outside of the formality of it all. And I think that's something that I've personally struggled with as a therapist. I've been in practice for a little over 10 years now. So for me in the beginning, it was, I have to follow all these rules. And of course there's ethics and modalities that have, that are evidence-based and you should be following those. But at the end of the day, we're humans and humans are messy and humans are chaotic and we can't force a formula onto the human experience. So yeah, I try to allow myself to step out of that when I find myself getting caught in what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Um, of course, I'm always ethical, but you know. That's so interesting. And I think too, there's an 
element where you figured out a way, and I'm sure other people who are really into tarot and therapy have gotten into this, where there is this intersection. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you always talk about in your podcast is DBT, dialectical yeah. behavior therapy. Could you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. So dialectical behavior therapy is is this modality where kind of the core principles are basically acceptance and change. It was designed mainly for folks who are struggling with intense emotional dysregulation, some personality disorders, um, suicide ideation. And that has been actually something that has surprised me that I've talked about so much on the podcast. Yeah, it comes up every episode multiple times. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, it's definitely a modality that I'm rooted in and I have had several trainings in. But I mean, I'm also very rooted in psychoanalysis and humanistic perspectives and other more trauma-focused modalities. So Mm, it's been interesting that DBT tends to come up more, but the more I reflect on it, it does kind of make sense because DBT itself kind of acknowledges that we can have or we can accept our circumstances while also acknowledging that we need to change our circumstances. And I know that can sound kind of weird or contradictory, but it's this radical acceptance is a huge component in DBT where radical acceptance is about accepting that we can't change what's already happened, but we have the ability to affect change moving forward. And I think the duality that's inherent in DBT is also inherent in tarot and maybe the intersection of tarot and therapy. So I think maybe that's why I find myself going back to it so much because, you know, there's this aim to balance these contradictory ideas. And I feel like that's what happens when we are using tarot. We have this feeling or experience. And so we're pulling a card to help us balance that feeling or experience. And sometimes the card that we're pulling is contradictory to that. Could you give an example of a DBT moment of a recent reading that might help illustrate that a little bit? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that. And it doesn't have to be the second. And maybe as that's kind of processing, I'm curious to if you want to talk a little bit more about the way that archetypes and psychoanalytics align with tarot. I feel like that's a more natural alignment just because of the way all the cards are created is they have these characters or these energies that each card embodies and Mm. they respond to this known entity within our, I, I guess, collective unconscious or in our world. And you know, a lot has been written about them as archetypes. And I like Rachel Pollack's 98 Degrees of Wisdom, where she compares the the journey of the major arcana mm-hmm. to the hero's journey and following the cards that way. But yeah, so I, yeah, I have several things to say to that. I'll start with a personal example for going back to how DBT principle of that might work. So I had started the podcast with a co-host and that co-host decided uh, that she had reached the end of her journey with the podcast. And of course, that leaves me feeling a lot of different feelings and pulling various cards during that process was really fascinating because one of the cards I had pulled was, um, I had pulled several cards, 
no, five of cups, three of swords, the stereotypical like <laughs> like pain cards. So but, sad, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, I also pulled a lot of energetic cards, like mm. eight of wands, which is one of my favorite cards. And mm. I actually pulled a lot of wands after she had decided her time with the podcast was done. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because I normally don't pull wands. I'm always pulling, you know, swords and cups. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah, I know. <laughs> The moon's my favorite card. I'm a Scorpio moon. Like, come on. Oh, my God. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to step in and explain what suits are to people who may not be familiar with tarot. Just like playing cards, tarot has two parts. I've already explained about the major arcana and how it represents different archetypes. And then there's the minor arcana, which similar to the playing cards for card games like poker, they have four suits. So instead of the hearts and the diamonds, tarot has suits like wands, cups, swords, and pentacles, which are also a fancy word for coins. Each suit has its own special meaning. It represents the four elements. It has a connection to the four types of astrological symbols, fire, water, earth, and air. And when they break down loosely, we're talking about wands as creative energy pentacles as the physical world, swords as thoughts and words, and cups as relationships and feelings. The reason I said swords and cups are darker cards is that, especially in traditional Rider-Waite-Smith decks, swords go from ace to ten and get increasingly stressful as the numbers pile up and basically end with a man laying face down in the ground with ten swords in his back, you know, as he bleeds out slowly. So yeah, it's pretty heavy. And Cups end on a good note with the Ten of Cups, but everyone's a little sad, a little depressed, kind of just getting bogged down. So I I, want to blame it on all that water energy. But okay, back to the show. So like that duality of, you know, Eight of Wands to come up, for example, in the midst of this, what felt like a really tower moment was me sitting with that radical acceptance component of, well, and this is twofold, the radical acceptance component of I'm allowed to move forward with all of my own ideas and connect with a lot of different people and have the permission to move forward, even though it feels very much like an ending. And then the other component of that eight of wands being, well, (laughs) now I have like eight maybe emotions that I have to try and regulate. Yeah, they're all flying around. <laughs> all at all once. of that. Yeah. Right. Oh, I like that. Exactly. I That's one thing I really like about your interpretations is you kind of go in for the first read and then take another crack at it. I like how you can always revisit yes. a card like multiple times. Oh, I appreciate that mm-hmm. you noticed that because people may ne- have never listened to the podcast and think that it's a, a podcast on you know, just interpretations of tarot where, you know, a lot of podcasts on tarot are where you listen to an episode and it's all about one card where we definitely wanted it to be. And now that I'm doing this solo, still want it to have this experience where we're pulling a card or talking about the cards in relation to the human experience and acknowledging maybe the traditional Mm -hmm. interpretation, but then giving ourselves an opportunity to really let the card marinate in whatever experience we're talking about and figure out how the energy continues to manifest in ways that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have allowed that energy to manifest. Yeah, because I mean, the cards can be magical and how specific they are to your moment, Mm. you know, like 
The one that kind of blows me away still is I was cat sitting and that's what I'm doing right now in San Francisco. I'm like cat sitting <laughs> and doing a residency, but I've, you know, known these cats for a couple of years now and it was during the pandemic and I, like a lot of people had a sewing project I was starting mm -hmm. and one of the cats was still a kitten. And honestly, she would still do this now where she went and ate an entire, I want to say it was five feet of thread and then <gasps> basically almost swallowed a, the needle. Oh my God. And the card I had pulled that day was the strength card. And it was a very traditional writer, Waitsmith Smith woman pulling something out yes. of the lion's mouth. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I wonder what that's about. And then I found myself like three hours later, grabbing this needle out of pomegranate is her name, Palm's mouth. And Cute. along with like five feet of string. And I was like, oh <sighs> my God, <laughs> you know, that's hilarious, which that's so funny because I think, you know, I get very caught up in the esotericness sure. of tarot, but sometimes it's, you pull a card and it very much is you just like prying open the mouth of a very tiny domesticated lion. Totally. <laughs> so literal. You just would never have guessed it. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny. It makes me you had asked some questions earlier reflecting on the archetypes and um, even though it can be literal I think from a therapeutic perspective at its core the way I experience tarot is that it acts as this like one it acts as a mirror we all talk about that but mm -hmm. also this catalyst for projection but projection in maybe a healthy way mm -hmm. so instead of projecting onto a partner or a friend we're projecting our thoughts and emotions onto these external symbols yes, and archetypes yes. in the deck. So, you know, we're allowed to have an experience with this card that is not going to potentially damage a relationship with someone else. And we can have all these thoughts and conversations and talk to the cards and allow the cards to talk back mm -hmm. and explore and unwrap both our internal and external experiences from multiple perspectives. Yeah, I love that because there's just sometimes when it's just not appropriate or I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but to bug someone about all these things, you know, and mm -hmm. and then if you find yourself like I'm, you know, I'm a Capricorn moon, but I'm a Scorpio sun and I have a lot of like oh. water in my chart. I have a lot of Scorpio. And so it like things mm -hmm. get really confusing. And at some level, like someone talking to me won't necessarily even help me figure out what I'm thinking or feeling. Right. You know, and so what I really like with tarot is, especially because I'm a visual person, you mm -hmm. have this image to respond to and it kind of gives you some rooting, you know, that maybe you wouldn't have if you were just talking to someone or you you just get like pissed off that they didn't. I don't know. I feel like sometimes, yeah. <laughs> you know what you're thinking because you're like, oh, that's not it. <laughs> you know, why can't you read my mind? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's really healthy to have this thing where you're like, oh, that's reflecting back. And now I can sink into that and see if this helps me understand more about what my situation is or. Yeah, you know, I, tarot offers us a purposeful pause mm -hmm. and. That's why I love when someone comes to work with me and they work with tarot because I'm like, oh, cool. This is this tool that we just like automatically have in, in our toolboxes that, you know, we don't have to build all this rapport until yeah. you believe, you know, that I think that you should do this thing. We can connect on that. And, you know, I have 
couples who use it together. And oh, that's cute. I know. And I'll say, okay, hey, so when you're both really heated, instead of just trying to speak or yell to be heard, I want you to go pull a card and sit and reflect for a second. Even if you aren't trying to figure out the card, that mm-hmm. just the act of shuffling your cards gives you a moment of pause and then you can come back and say, okay, here's where I'm at. And even just personally, that's why, you know, going back to the DBT example, and this might be because I'm thinking about emotional regulation in the symposium, our membership community this month, Mm -hmm. I'm focusing on tarot for emotional regulation. Um, You know, if you're really heightened, you could easily just step into a card. You wouldn't even have to necessarily pull blindly. Like you could go through your deck and find, you know, the nine of pentacles, for example. I love that Mm -hmm. image from the Somnia tarot deck. It's just so peaceful. and Envision yourself stepping into that card and I love activating that. all of your senses. That yeah, you you can actually say like this is what I want, even if it's not yeah. where you're at. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, so it's a really kind of multifaceted tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, beyond even even beyond just self reflection or divination. Mm-hmm. You talking about the visual aspect is really important because I've always thought that tarot is like this mini gallery Mm -hmm. that you have access to because when you walk into an art gallery you often have this visceral experience with the art that's hanging Mm -hmm. it's the same at least for me and a lot of folks I talk to it's the same experience when you're pulling cards definitely no I super love that I'm curious um do you have a favorite deck or like how do you choose Mm -hmm. your deck for the any given reading Yeah, you know, I have my, I call it my comfort deck. Mm -hmm. So I have Tarot Vintage, which is the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith version. And the originals, the colors are just a little too harsh for me. Mm. So the Tarot Vintage is more muted and, you know, hence the name. It it looks vintage, but it's not. So it looks like it's been steeped in tea. And (laughs) Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and it's just so comforting. So that's the deck that I gravitate towards lately. But sometimes, I don't know if I'm feeling playful or creative, I'll grab one of my more modern decks, Mm -hmm. like Modern Witch Tarot, or if I'm doing, I don't know, darker, deeper stuff or reflecting, I might grab the Somnia Tarot by Nicholas Bruno. Mm. But Or Pagan Otherworld is another deck that I've been using a lot lately. It's... The imagery is soft and muted, like tarot vintage. So Mm. I think it's more reflective of what I'm kind of needing from a mental and emotional standpoint. Mm -hmm. So if I'm grabbing tarot vintage or pagan other worlds, it's because I need something visually soft. Mm. uh, Where if I'm feeling really creative and inspired, I tend to grab something more modern and colorful. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you feel about like pip decks versus the Rider Waite Smith like illustrative decks? Like, do you like mm-hmm. having a little bit more room to kind of make up your interpretation? Or, yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So, I personally, at least where I'm at right now in life and with my tarot practice, yeah. don't gravitate towards pip decks. Yeah. But I was having, 
we were having a conversation in the symposium recently where some folks are really challenging themselves to only use pip decks for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've kind of been like, ooh, is that my next challenge? Mm. Like, is that what I'm going to do? But I don't know if I have <laughs> I need some comfort right now. Oh, and my I God. I feel like yeah. the images are comfort. <laughs> totally. No, I get that. Yeah. It's funny because I learned on a pip deck. Oh, wow. I picked up a tarot deck in December 2019. I was doing my nomadic thing and just like on my way back to the U.S. and I was in Florence and apparently tarot was invented somewhere in Italy. Oh, yeah. Right. But so I asked the shop guy like, oh, what should I get? You know, I don't know tarot at all. And he goes, oh, you should get this deck, the Marseille deck. And that's the original. Yes. I was wondering if that's what you grabbed. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, there there is a separate book about it. And the the pip reading is actually so different than the Rider Waite Smith deck. You know, like the the Five of Cups is actually like a really positive, cool card. Yes. And not so much in, you know, Rider Waite Smith. So that was my first kind of like, oh, okay, interesting. I'm going to have to relearn this entire new deck once I Mm -hmm. switch to the Rider Waite Smith. But I feel like it's a lot easier. And then now that I'm into that, my favorite deck is Morgan Greer. Yes. And that's kind of got this like 70s illustration vibe to it. And that is definitely my comfort zone just because it's like kind of campy and nothing <laughs> so like violent other than the right. you know, the ten of swords, obviously. But everything's like pretty easygoing. And I like how the faces are really cropped because it really feels about the characters, not as much about the mm-hmm. whole scene, which I, for some reason I really like. But um, yeah, and I'm curious, yeah. the the book that you were talking about, is it the open reading? Um, I don't think so for the, the Marseille deck. Yeah. You know, I read the one. His name is like Yoav Ben. Yeah. Is that him? Ben Dobb. Yeah, Ben Dobb. Yeah, that's Tara the Open Reading. Yeah, I, oh, I love his work yeah. and I love that book. So I was curious if that's Marseille book you're reading. It's really awesome and um very thorough. And he gives like, you know, different reading suggestions and way to like, interpret if you do like a three card there's a lot of different ways to kind of approach it which I think is really cool yeah we're actually using that book in the symposium this month oh awesome for our book club yeah so even if you're using Rider Waite Smith deck or a Pip deck I feel like going back to what you were saying of oh now I have to relearn (laughs) it's important to (laughs) it is important to read and see all these different perspectives Mm -hmm. and ways of interpreting different cards because then it just allows your brain and mind to expand on a personal level too. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about the knowledge you're gaining about the cards, but also the knowledge and insight you're gaining even just about your own personal experiences. Totally. And like human nature. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I wanted to ask more about the symposium though. When in the process of creating your podcast, did you start your symposium? Yeah, you know, I think it was like a year in and it was interesting because when we had originally started the podcast, it was, hey, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're both therapists who like tarot. I need some sort of creative outlet. I need some sort of additional intellectual stimulation. Yeah. Let's do this thing. And, you know, I was like, listen, let's just do 12 episodes. Let's just see if we like it. Let's see if we can do it, if people even find it valuable And people really did. And we found that people kept reaching out to us to talk about the episodes Mm. and either through 
email or DMs or even just comments on Instagram. And then I was starting to see people interact together on Instagram about different episodes and Mm -hmm. things that we were talking about. And because we were in the middle of this pandemic, I was like, we need to create a space of connection. And that's really how it came came to be. It was, you know, I want to be able to connect more with folks and I want them to be able to connect with each other. And it's been, I mean, I've actually made some really great personal friends through the process. It's been incredible. Yeah, it seems like such a great topic. Like, I guess it's two topics technically, but it seems like such a great subject to create this community around. And I think it's yeah speaks a lot to it resonating with people because it's not easy to create a community. No, it's definitely very, you know, it's a lot of work. Like I tried to do it earlier this year and I'm like, partly we just don't want to all be on Slack the way we used to during the pandemic. Right. Right. But it is just, it's a whole thing. And so it just shows how like organically important it was to kind of build this network. So that's really cool. Yeah. And I wanted it to be this space that you could engage collectively, but also engage on your own in a private way. Mm. So I've noticed we have a lot of INFJs in the community. So a lot of introverts who are like, listen, I'm here, but you might never see me. And I get it (laughs) because like, I'm actually technically an INFJ, but I'm an ambivert. So I'm also extroverted. But then we have this group of people who are very extroverted and, you know, like, kind of always present in meetups. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I wanted there to be a workshop each month where we could use the cards to really dive into in a deeper sense. Mm. And then we have a book club and then we have the reading room, which is really, really exciting where we get together once a month and I randomly pair people up so I'll write people like old school write people's names on a piece of paper rip it up and then pull out pairings and those are the people who are reading for each other (laughs) oh that's so cute I love that yeah it's really fun and it's been great to see people's personal progression with tarot Mm -hmm. too so from when they first joined the community to you know maybe a year later just to see their understanding of the cards and honestly the biggest thing though is their confidence because it's really scary to be on zoom Mm -hmm. and giving a reading in front of a dozen plus other people and to see people become so much more comfortable with themselves in the process is that like psychological component that we really wanted so it's like not only are you learning the cards but you're also really stepping into yourself in the process So it's been great. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. I know. I mean, I will say that's part of the fear of taking on that new deck, you know, especially if you aren't just reading for yourself is all of a sudden you're like faced with another person. I I know I don't always feel confident doing the pip deck around someone and or like I have the movie tarot, which is technically a pip deck. But for the most part, I just read it as writer rate Smith and not the Marseille deck. But You know, that moment of panic when all of your sudden like, oh, I don't even remember. What is the seven of cups again? (laughs) We've had that happen. And I think that's what's been that's why I love the community so much. Not just the people in the symposium, but like the tarot community as a whole, because, well, for example, when we're when we're doing the reading room, I always preface with it's okay if you don't if you draw a blank. Yeah, there's been plenty of times where you know, I've been hosting a workshop or a book club and I'm like, hold on a second. I just totally lost my train of thought or I have no idea what this card means anymore. 
And the community really swoops in and says, oh, hey, I got you. Have you thought about X, Y, Z? Or what about ABC or whatever? And they really kind of come to your rescue. And it's incredibly supportive. So in that regard, yeah, the community is just amazing. Well, that sounds awesome. We will put information about how people can join and also how to find your podcast because it's definitely like all good stuff. On that note, as we wrap things up, what do you see as the future of your role, both as therapist and podcast host and the head of this community? How do you see that evolving now that we're fully out of the pandemic in the sense that, Mm. you know, we're not sheltering in place. We don't have travel restrictions. Right. And I feel like more people are aware of tarot in a way that maybe they weren't, you know, pre-pandemic. So it's like, yes, there's this desire from new people maybe to learn, but I feel like the average level of intelligence around tarot is pretty high Mm -hmm. compared to other times in the world. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's why I really love doing the tarot diagnosis in the community because it really takes your knowledge and allows you to apply it in a much deeper, higher, either intellectual or somatic sense than if you were to just, you know, Google, what does this card mean? And yeah, it's, and you have access to everyone else's, you know, banks of, of knowledge as well. But as far as the future, I mean, that's definitely something, you know, because my co-host recently left, I've really been reflecting on like, what does this look like for me? What do I want? What do I need? And it's, I can't see my life without the podcast or the community right now. <laughs> like it's just become such an integral part of just my day-to-day life. And it's it's such an artistic and creative and emotional outlet for me. So I definitely plan on continuing the podcast and the community. I've been having so much fun inviting guests on to be on the podcast to have different types of conversations, which I would love to have you on at some point because I really love talking to you. This is the second time we've gotten to talk. So yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that's been really fun being able to have different conversations. I'm planning on continuing that as well as just solo episodes where I just allow myself to deep dive into some cards and and explore. You you did a solo episode recently, right? Because I pulled the same cards that day too. But I'm trying to remember. Oh, that's bizarre. Isn't that weird? What card? (laughs) The latest one was the psychology of manifestation. You know, it was eight of pentacles that I had pulled that day. Gotcha. And actually, that's my card for the week. What to know for the week. Nice. And I was like, okay, usually that shows up for me about making paintings. Oh, okay. But then it also can show up about doing breaking pattern work. But anyway, I, I liked that it came into the conversation because it helped me create a little bit more context for it, which I think, you know, you kind of get in your ruts of what this card means. And so again, I love that you hit it from all angles. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I had had an experience, I think it was last year, it was last year when we were, we did the Witch City Tarot Gathering, we had presented at that conference, and I had pulled the card a couple times that weekend, we were in Salem. And I had had this experience of thinking about it in a totally different way. And I think it was more of, because I love that you were talking about like ruts and stuff of viewing in the traditional imagery, the pentacles as these like stepping stones that you are hammering to this tree trunk. So it's so easy for us to be like, oh, I, 
I have to keep going until I get the perfect one, or I have to work really hard until I perfect this thing. And I think I started looking at it as, well, I also need to be present in the experience of all of the steps that it takes to get to that maybe final step or quote unquote perfection. Because, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves to look a certain way, perform a certain way or show up a certain way. So it was more of viewing that card, not necessarily as just putting your head down and doing the work, but as enjoying the process as you're doing it, because it's really difficult. I'm very outcome oriented. So when I see that card Mm -hmm. traditionally, Capricorn, right, exactly. (laughs) When I see that card, I'm like, yep, got to get to work, got to get that thing done. Totally. And it's a reminder to stop and be like, well, hold on, let's like actually pay attention to what you're doing and what you're learning and experiencing in the process. I do love your solo episodes. And I think having gone through a shift where I'm now more solo, mm-hmm. it is, it's hard. I mean, I don't know if you, you definitely went into it on your own podcast. It's definitely hard to feel like, oh, the weight's on my shoulders now, <laughs> you know? Right. When you have a partnership with somebody, there's a really kind of intimate, unique shared experience of like, hey, I can rely on you. Or I think for me, because I'm a Capricorn yeah. and I tend to just never feel like I can rely on anyone. It was the the loss of that partnership was more of I'm losing the shared experience with somebody. Mm-hmm. That was the most, I think, emotionally difficult. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, anyone who goes through that, whether they are losing a friend or a partner, romantic or platonic or professional partnership ends, there's that experience of, wow, well, now what? Yeah, I mean, and it, it again, it happened the same week, which is why we ended up talking is because I emailed right. you. It happened the same week that Liz and I finally were like, okay, yeah, she's got to focus on family for a while. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to say that she's never going to come back because it, right. it was a little bit of a different situation, but definitely for the foreseeable future, I'm trudging ahead solo. And yeah, that feeling of now what, I don't know, just a shift in mentality and Knowing mm-hmm. that she brought a certain POV to the yes. podcast that I would never be able to recreate, but that I could mm-hmm. be inspired by that as a way to move forward, you know, because I, I do think she's opened my eyes up about how to go off script or, you know, have an outline, yes. but be a little bit more spontaneous. And, <laughs> you know, that was definitely I think that's because I'm a Scorpio son. So I I was very controlled with, okay, we need to hit these (laughs) beats. And she wasn't. So I was like, okay, I actually could probably learn a lot from this, you know? And I think I've definitely taken that with me going forward. And Absolutely. It's so fascinating how similar our situations have been, just how we have these shared experiences. Because you've emailed a couple times (laughs) and been like, oh my gosh, this is so wild. And I love that. Like, it's, yeah. it's so it's so cool. And when you reached out, when we were having that shared experience of our podcast partners, you know, choosing to kind of go down a different path, I was like, oh my gosh, someone gets it. And it felt so nice. It's very niche. Yeah, right. Very niche. But I love that you pointed out what we can learn because it's so easy to focus on what you're losing mm-hmm. and what that kind of internal experience is like. But again, how aligned we are, that's what my former co-host had brought was very much we're going to fly by the seat of our pants. And we're just going to like, you know, we would (laughs) hop on, we would say, hey, what do you want to talk about tomorrow? (laughs) And we would decide our topic at like nine o'clock the night before. And then just hop on and just like, 
do the episode. And in the beginning, that was so anxiety provoking for yeah. me. I was like, I need to know what to expect. I totally. need an outline. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, it was more of like, no, you you got this. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from that shared experience mm. was having the courage and the confidence to just let things happen as they will. Yes. And, you know, going back to what you said a moment ago about that point of view being gone, that's definitely something I struggled with and still struggle with. You know, when she left, it was, it definitely hit these <laughs> pain points and brought up some insecurities mm-hmm. of, oh, shit, am I good enough? So having to work through through that has been interesting for sure. Well, I'm excited to see where both of us go with all of this for sure. Me too. And I just want to say, I appreciate you. You're also a representation of how amazing this community is, you know, having just even the courage to reach out because that can be (laughs) anxiety provoking for people. Like, should I email this stranger? Mm -hmm. I was like, she's going to think I'm super nuts and full of shit or she's really going to appreciate it. So (laughs) yeah, I love hearing from people. It's like my favorite thing. So I would say me too, honestly, like when I get a DM, that's like, oh my God, this episode was so amazing. You know, or if I hear from a guest that they got feedback, is like, we don't have a community. We don't really use our Instagram that much. So when mm. I get that, you know, it's always so rewarding because absolutely podcasting is kind of like yelling into an empty hallway, yeah. you know, and you're like, is anyone in there? Right. <laughs> Do you find this valuable? Yeah. Should I continue? Totally. <laughs> yes. Someone please. <laughs> yeah. Just, just anything, a clap, one clap. Yeah. A clap. <laughs> A thumbs up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it was really nice hearing from you. And I appreciate you kind of sharing your experience, too. I think that's that's so important in this world is to know that we're not alone and we we can make connections. And um, yeah, just I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, follow, subscribe, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the side wooing.